up, everyone? We are less than 15 minutes away from the NBA trade deadline closing out, but it was a late morning blockbuster from Leon Rose, which signaled that the New York Knicks are all in. Hello and welcome to the Putback Trade Deadline Special. I'm your host, Chelsea Sherrod, joined by SNY NBA insider Ian Begley, as well as Jonathan Macri from Knicks. Film school. What a crew we have today. Uh, we'll also be joined by Fred Katz from The Athletic once the deadline passes. These guys are here to answer all of your questions, but first, let's tip off with the baseline. As confirmed by Ian, the Knicks have acquired. <laughs> 34-year-old car horse. Bogdanovich that headlines this deal, a three-point threat averaging 20 points a game with Detroit. And in return, Leon Rose deals his two biggest trade chips, third-year shooting guard Quentin Grimes and veteran wing Evan Fournier. Also heading to the Motor City is Ryan Archidiakono, Malachi Flynn, and two future second-round draft picks. So, Ian, you've been all over Alec Burke as a potential acquisition but how did Boyan Bogdanovich end up in New York City? Yeah, you know what? The Knicks, uh, as late as, I mean, excuse me, as early as last trade deadline, they were checking in on Bogdanovich. And then I think there was a little confusion there because some people in Detroit more recently wanted to hold on to Bogdanovich and try to win games. Others were willing to get rid of the veterans and to move on. And I think it really started to coalesce, you know, this week. Detroit kind of gave sig more and more signals that they were open to it. Plenty of teams were in on Bogdanovich, including Philadelphia. Um, but the Knicks were aggressive because the Knicks knew that, hey, we need him if we can get him. And I think part of it, not the whole thing at all, but part of it is about OG Ananobi and just the uncertainty there around his elbow injury. I, I don't think we're talking about season ending, uh, excuse me, surgery or anything like that. I think we're just talking about more time for him to heal and get comfortable. But I think that uncertainty factored in a bit to the Knicks being so aggressive on Bogdanovich. Yeah, adding these vets immediately bolsters their roster. So I think these are some good moves for the Knicks. Uh, Ian, we'll, we'll do more on this trade in a second, but with just minutes remaining before the 3 p.m. deadline, do you see the Knicks making any more moves? Um, I don't think so because that you said it, Chelsea. I mean, their biggest trade chips were Quentin Grimes and were Evan Fournier. And unless they get Bruce Brown in a three-team deal giving up significant draft capital to Toronto, I don't see how you make that work. So I don't think anything big is coming now. And uh, yeah, I think you could put the trade machine away uh, if you're a Nick fan. All right, putting the trade machine away, as Ian says. Uh, John, I want to hear from you. We'll get to the departures in a few, but what do you think of the additions of both Boyan Bogdanovich and Alex Burks as we say hello to Fred Katz joining us as well? Yes, hello, Fred. Uh, so nice to see you in a collared shirt. Uh, I love the additions. Uh, I love the trade from a few perspectives. So I think uh, with where the Knicks are at right now, they had to walk a few tight ropes, right? Um, on one hand, you have a team that obviously has aspirations to do certain things in the postseason. So any trade you're going to make is going to have to be geared towards that and, and the certain types of players you're going to want to get to make sure they're either part of your playoff rotation for sure or could be part of your playoff rotation. 
But at the same time, you needed to just get to that finish line. And right now, as Ian already referenced, the Knicks are, are very banged up. So uh, could you kind of, you know, serve these two masters? I think what's nice about both Burks and Bogey is these are guys who, if the Knicks need them to step in and play, you know, 30 minutes a night for a stretch of time where certain guys are, are out, they can do that. Um, and at the same time, and this is maybe getting a little bit into the weeds on this, but if you're looking ahead to the playoffs, both of these guys have nice size. And we, I feel like we've talked again and again about how it would be tough for the Knicks to justify expending real assets for a traditional backup point guard when that guy's not going to see time alongside Brunson. This, this, you don't have to worry about that because um, Burks can kind of do do both. And then just from an asset perspective, quickly, um, I think yes, two best trade chips for sure in terms of players on the current roster. But as many people have already made this point, the Knicks didn't send a single first round pick out in this trade to say nothing of their own future first round picks. So yes, you got to give to get, but I think in the larger scheme of things, uh, the Knicks are, are, are still well positioned to continue to be flexible and aggressive uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a great point, John, not giving up any first rounders to get these guys in. Uh, Fred, I'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on Bogdanovich and Burke coming to the Knicks? Yeah, I mean, I think just to reiterate what Ian was saying, well, to reply to what John said, yes, yeah, sometimes people wear color trips, John. We don't all want to show up in T-shirts. And 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 as to what Ian said, I, I think I think what Ian said, I'm basically hearing the same kind of stuff, which is that momentum really built over these last, especially 24 hours for Burks and Bogdanovich, and it was something that had been discussed conceptually, I think, between the two teams, and obviously the Knicks have made place for Burks. Uh, but but I think it was something that really revved up, especially once Toronto started talking to Utah about Bruce Brown. And I think the Knicks correspondence with, with Toronto about Bruce Brown started to become at least a little bit a little bit more unlikely in that sense. Uh, I also think that this is a move that you make if you are uncertain about OG Ananobi's injury status moving forward. I mean, look, the Knicks for basically all of trade season made it pretty clear since making the Ananobi trade that their priority in making a trade with another team was to bring in somebody who could handle the ball, settle the offense behind Jalen Brunson, maybe play next to Brunson, be a little bit of a playmaker, a shooter, and basically be an innings eater. And they go out and they, they get guys who kind of pretty much fill that description, but they also bring in a second guy and a forward in Bogdanovich. And I think that's somebody who can basically be an innings eater in, in Ananobi's stead. And, and to reiterate, like Ian, I don't know that Ananobi is how long he's done for or whatever, but I do think there's concern that it's going to be more than just this next game. And and I think bringing in these depth pieces can, can kind of help steady the ship over that time. Yeah, I agree. Ian, um, as for Alex Burks, he's starting off his second tour of duty with the Knicks playing 130 games for them between 2020 and 2022. Why do you think he's such a good fit with Tom Thibodeau and his team? Well, Thibodeau always talks about the versatility that Burks can give you. He says he gives you what you need on any given night, whether it's shooting or playmaking. And that was very valuable for them in the season where they made the playoffs and played the Hawks in the playoffs because there were injuries. Uh, the guys were in and out nights, different nights, and there was some subpar play. And Alec Burks went in there and he was essentially uh, the point guard for the Knicks. It wasn't ideal, but it tells you that he can make plays off the dribble. He's comfortable with the ball in his hands. And I think that was one of the keys here because in a perfect world, the Knicks were going to end up with somebody who could help organize the second unit 
and could take some of the playmaking duties away from a Jalen Brunson or a Julius Randle. They, they needed something like that, and they were able to find it in Burks and get it done. And interesting thing here to me, and Fred, you touched on this a lot, you look at the contracts, and Bogdanovich is under contract for next season. So as you had mentioned, Fred, that's, that was a box the Knicks were hoping to check because of having salary for potential trades next year. Uh, so to me, they did well today because – they seemed to have two objectives. It wasn't clear that they were going to be able to get that second objective with the player under contract for next season, and they did it. Yeah, I think that's very true. And and with Bogdanovich, you know, part of the reason that they branched in Bruce Brown as well is he's got a $23 million team option for next year. And the way of the NBA these days is, especially with a team like the Knicks, who is trying to do everything it can to maximize its opportunity to trade for a star, and the Knicks are, are targeting next summer, this upcoming summer, in order to do that. If not this summer, the next season. They're targeting that time frame in order to try to make this trade for this faceless star that they've been going after for all of these years, ever since Leon Rose took over the front office four years ago. You need salary to be able to make that happen. And I think if they weren't going to trade Evan Fournier, I think there was a very legitimate chance that even though Fournier never plays, the Knicks could be down to four players, and Tom Thibodeau will play three of them if it means not having to play Fournier. He was just never going to play. There was still a chance if the Knicks held on to Fournier past the deadline, they picked up his $19 million team option for next year. And it was just because they needed that salary for flexibility so that they can reach a max the salary in a max contract. And keep in mind, there are a lot of teams that are saying, you know what, we're happy with this guy. We're not happy with the offers we're getting for someone who we're considering trading. So we're going to hold on to them and move into the summer. It seems like that's kind of what's going to happen in Atlanta with DeJounte Murray, for example. It is going to be so much more difficult to make trades this summer with the new restrictions from the collective bargaining agreement kicking in on July 1st. It is going to become so much more difficult. Tons of teams are going to be unable to make trades. Tons of teams are going to be unable to make certain types of trades. Tons of teams are going to be able uh, unable to take in more salary than they give out on a trade. If you receive more than if you receive one cent more on a deal than you're sending out, you're hard capped. There are all of these restrictions on trades, and they're going to be it's going to be much more difficult to trade a guy on a high on a high figured salary, and that makes it even more advantageous to be in a position like the Knicks are, where the competition is less, which increases your odds, and they can say you know what, let's go after this guy because a team like, I don't know, Phoenix that's past the second apron, just the rules won't allow it to happen. Yeah. And Bobby Marks. I mean, Fred Katz, thank you so much. Appreciate that insight. <laughs> I, I was about to say, at the risk of, of losing all of your audience and picking well, no, up on this, stuff. That was good. on this on this cap nerdery, um, the Knicks have really set themselves up nicely here heading into the summer where, um, you know, Fred kind of implied this, the things that you know people hear terms like tax aprons and and hard capped these are things that restrict your ability to team build the knicks have set themselves up right now where they're not going to have to do anything this summer to bring back a very competitive and, and very good team um, that you know use an exception which hard caps you that that's something that restricts your ability to do more things as fred referenced a lot of teams are going to be uh, restricted knicks are going to have that issue um, so for one, I like that. And just kind of getting back to the the Burks thing, uh, two quick points. One, 
I this would have been a difficult deal to do under the cap if Bogdanovich was not part of this because just from a, a salary matching standpoint, uh, they would have probably wind uh, winded up needing to use Evan Fournier's salary and then maybe Detroit send something back and not to get too far into it, but the fact that. It, this really came together nicely and that they got a player that they're actually going to want to play in Bogdanovich. Uh, well, also as, as the guys were talking about retaining that, that salary matching uh, for next year. And then just on Burks, look, I know last card, uh, you know, probably hearts and, and eyes and minds from the year where he was the starting point guard, uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of people out there in Knicks land, especially those of you who wanted Emmanuel quickly to start. This is a different situation right now. There, there's not going to be anybody here that Burks is blocking from from getting you know time. They need him uh, in this role, and he look is he someone you want playing 30 minutes worth of point guard for you? Absolutely not. But to step in for Jalen Brunson for four or five minutes a half when he's surrounded by some other pretty impressive offensive players, and I expect that he he will be, especially when the playoffs come. Uh, that's valuable, and they needed that, and it, it comes in a nice package, a reliable package, one that Tom Thibodeau was very familiar with. Yeah, I was actually – Yeah, I think that – Oh, go ahead, Chelsea. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Ian. Go ahead. I was on the phone with uh, with somebody from the Western Conference uh, about an hour ago. We are just talking, and, you know, this person pointed out, like, hey, the Knicks, somehow they still have all those first-round picks, and so, you know, we know to expect something – uh, in the future here with a, with a big trade. And so if other teams are seeing it, I'm sure the Knicks are preparing for it. And so, you know, there's I think it's impossible to like put together some kind of list about who is available, who they'll go after. If I'm making a list, I'm, I'm always going to put uh, Carl Towns on the list, uh, given Minnesota's financial uh, concerns or issues, I should say. But you have to wait to see how the postseason shakes out. You know, it's all, it's that's when you find out who, who might be available, who's disgruntled, where you can go. So the postseason is going to tell a lot of the story about who the Knicks could potentially go after in the offseason. Uh, and just a quick aside on Evan Fournier, I thought he really handled everything with a lot of professionalism. I thought he, uh, you know, he could have complained, griped publicly. He didn't do so. He didn't even really want to be quoted publicly uh, in the weeks leading up to the trade deadline. I talked to him a little bit um, just off to the side. And, and one funny thing he said was, you know, he never pays attention to trade rumors ever, like, Never, ever, ever. He's always in them, but he never wants to check. This year was different, though. He said he was checking, like, nonstop several times a day to see if anything was out there for him to, to be sent elsewhere. So I, I feel good for him to be able to get a chance to potentially play in Detroit. That's pretty commendable. I wish that I could block out a lot of noise as well. I mean, especially being a, a player in New York City, that's kind of hard to do. So good for him. Um, all right, guys, it is 3 p.m. The trade deadline has officially come. I'm Chelsea Sherrod alongside Ian Begley, Fred Katz, and Jonathan Macri. Uh, I just want to remind all of you guys to get your fan questions into the comment section so these guys can answer them for you. And we do have one. It's from Justin Maddox on YouTube. Ian, I'll come to you with this one. Justin says, what veteran point guard could the Knicks scoop in the buyout? Well, you look at Kyle Lowry, right? That's the obvious one. Um, but, you know, with Kyle Lowry, everybody's talking about Philadelphia for good reason. He's from Philly. I think uh, even some Sixers uh, players are already in his ear trying to get him there. So I think the Knicks would have competition there for Lowry. 
they do have their biennial exception to use if they wanted to, and that gives them more money to offer uh, a free agent more than just a minimum contract. They can also offer a longer deal to any buyout, um, buyout people. So I think you look there, but you know, beyond that, I'm not sure if there's going to be a, a ton of options. There should be some some wings. I mean, you'll have actually Spencer Dinwiddie. Part of me will be uh, should be available, and then I don't know other veterans. You look around, maybe an ex Nick like Reggie Bullock becomes available via buyout, and uh, maybe the Knicks kick the tires there. But they will, if they go after Lowry, they will have competition. Yeah, I mean, why not just throw another Villanova guy on the Knicks roster? Let's just bring them all over. Uh, John, let's talk about um, the guys who are departing the Knicks. And just a reminder to everyone, the Pistons are getting Quentin Grimes, Malachi Flynn, Evan Fournier, Ryan Archidiakono, and two second-round picks. Uh, John, you said today on Knicks Film School that you still think Quentin Grimes has a high upside. So what do you think of him being traded? I do. I mean, I I don't know how anyone could be upset at what Quentin Grimes gave the Knicks over the course of, of his time here. He was exactly as advertised, which is kind of like a three and D, you know, plus guy. I think part of the reason why he's on the move today is the, you know, the plus part never really came fully to fruition um, with, you know, maybe some off the dribble stuff and, you know, his ability to really truly play make, uh, you know, if he's attacking a closeout or, or what have you. But at the same time, that was really going to be very difficult to do here in New York, where you have some very prominent, um, you know, lead guys who are going to have the ball in their hands a lot to say nothing of the fact that he, you know, was here with Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett. Those guys got a lot of attention and, and a lot of usage. So I, I think it's going to be best for him to go to a situation where, I mean, look, the Pistons are they have seven wins. So I would imagine Quentin Grimes is going to get a chance to spread his wings a, a little bit more potentially uh, on that team over the course of the rest of the year. But like the shooting is real. The defense is real in particular, the point of attack defense. I mean, the, and that's one of the few questions I do think the Knicks are going to have to think about moving forward is they did just lose their best point of attack defender, at least on small guards. You know, OJ Ananobi is obviously kind of in a class of his own, but like Grimes filled that role. It was an important role for him to fill over the years. So I think he brings that with him to Detroit. And I do think there was some upside still there. Um, be curious to see how he does the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, he's extension eligible. So I'll be curious to see if, if he's able to get something done uh, with the Pistons before next season. I can't yeah, hear uh, Just the Knicks are done, actually. Sometimes deals do trickle in. Uh, at this point, a couple minutes after 3 p.m., but I'm told they are done. No more deals. So it's Bogdanovich and it's Burks, and, and they go from there. Uh, Quentin Grimes, I mean, to me, this was a player who had a lot of potential, and this was a player who also was given some opportunity to succeed, and he did succeed last season in a very big way. This year it wasn't the same. I think with Grimes in his next stop, if that team puts the ball in his hands, allows him to play make and allows him to get into a rhythm offensively, I think he'll have a lot of success because we already know he can shoot. We know he can defend for his size, but I think there's more there in terms of a ball handler. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But from a Nick perspective, like they knew and his side knew that this, they were on just different timelines. It wasn't going to work out. And whether it was now or it was the offseason, they were going to make a deal involving Grimes. 
you know, whether they should have held on to him and kept him for a deal in the offseason. That's a debate to be had. But I think for them to keep their first round picks out of this deal with Detroit and instead have Grimes in the deal, uh, to me, that made a lot of sense. And that's yeah. one of the reasons that the Knicks seem to have a pretty good trade deadline day. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we do have another fan question. This is from YouTube from Mike Steele. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. Mike says, if we are healthy, we can beat anyone in the East. Where do the Knicks fit into the Eastern Conference? John, let's start with you. Oh, boy. Um, it's a great question. I mean, the the if we are healthy, I think, is doing a, a fair bit of work here because right now, as we've talked about, the Knicks are pretty banged up. But let's just go with it for a second. Let's just say they're they're healthy. Um, I don't, I think Boston remains in a class by themselves to some extent, uh, because they just have assembled a really well-balanced two-way roster. Other than the Celtics though, if the Knicks are healthy, I don't see a team out there that they are going to fear. And I, am not saying that the Knicks would necessarily be favored against, you know, again, a fully healthy Bucks team, or, you know, we still don't know what the, the situation is with Joel Embiid. Is he going to be able to come back this year? You know, to say nothing of really, really good teams like the Cavs and the Pacers, like it is a competitive, competitive East. And so that's why I don't think, you know, the Knicks should be taking anybody lightly, but in terms of their, I think their floor was raised today. And I think their ceiling was raised today. And I think ideally, if you're a team that is trying to win games, you want to come out with with both of those things. It wouldn't shock me in the least to see the Knicks wind up in the Eastern Conference Finals, depending on you know how certain things break. And then again, if you're if you make it that far, anything could happen. I, you know, Boston is a great team. Um, don't get me wrong; they they should be favored to come out of the East, but they're they're an imperfect team. Um, and in particular, like you get them in a close game down the stretch, they they, they don't they don't always tend to pull those those out. And one thing I know the Knicks have is they have a closer, and his name is Jalen Brunson, who is also a guy that I would put up against pretty much anyone in the conference uh, in terms of, like, you, you you give me your best guy, I'll give you my best guy. The way Jalen Brunson's playing right now, who, you know, who would you definitively pick over him? Uh, I, I, again, I, I'm not sure how long that list is. Yeah, I don't think it's very long. I think Jalen Brunson is my closer of choice. Um, Fred, coming to you, just following up on what John was saying, how do you, how far do you think this next team can go as constructed if they are healthy? Like how far in the Eastern Conference and when we talk about playoff time, how far do you think they can go? I think I agree with John. I mean, I don't see why. We've talked so much about their plans for the future, the plans on chasing a star. We even, Ian and I immediately six seconds into a, uh, show where we're talking about a trade six seconds in we talk about the the contract value of Brian Bogdanovich and how that could affect the chase for a star in some ways we talk so much about that but in the process of that the Knicks have kind of gotten to a place where I think they internally have looked at this roster and been like why not us mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they are expecting to make the finals that they're expecting to be the best team in the east or even that like people will be angry if they don't get there. I do think they are operating like a team and they have internal belief that if things break right for them, they could make a really deep run. I do think that they wanna end up in that two or three spot so they can avoid Boston until the conference finals. 
-hmm. I do think that they are really, really confident, especially if they have Mitchell Robinson back by then. I do think they would be really confident going into a series against the Cleveland Cavaliers after they just punked them in five games last year. Cleveland is better this year, and they're more experienced, and it might not happen again. But I think the Knicks go into that series confident. And I think they go into a series against Milwaukee confident too. I think they, they, I know they've lost three out of four times to Milwaukee during the regular season so far. Those, those games are before the OG Ananobi trade. And I think they match up actually very well schematically with Milwaukee, where Giannis is, if, if, if the Knicks are healthy, Giannis is going to have to guard Julius Randle, which puts him in a role that he doesn't prefer to be in. He likes to be more off the ball. Milwaukee doesn't have some sort of shutdown guy to guard Jalen Brunson, even after acquiring Pat Beverly today. Like they, they don't have this roster that is going to mesh perfectly with what the Knicks have. And they have Ananobi, who, who you could stick on Giannis, and who you can never shut down Giannis. But if you want to make Giannis's life really difficult for seven games, OG Ananobi is about as best as you can do. So if they're healthy, I think they really have a chance to make a real run. And like John said, if you're in the conference finals, it's like you got a chance. You just need – health stuff to go right and Jalen Brunson get really hot for a series. And all of a sudden we're talking about, you're talking about the Knicks the same way we did in 1994. Oh, he yeah. said it. I didn't know if you were going to go all the way there. He did. I didn't say 1973. I didn't say 1973. I said 1994. It's the collar shirt. It's the collar shirt. He's coming with it. It's true. I'm feeling, I'm feeling bold. I, I didn't even put in yeah. color state. That's how bold I'm feeling. They're just going to stand up on their own. That's great. I love it. I love it. Uh, we do have some more fan questions. This one is from Andrew Claudio on YouTube. Andrew says, hi, guys. First time, long time. My question is, what do you think the healthy version of the Knicks floor is now? Also, John, who is your favorite Knicks beat writer? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> uh, to answer the second question, Steve Popper, without question, uh, <laughs> but, but 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 only because Berman is off the beat. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I think their I think their floor of healthy is the is the second round. Um, and just to add to what Fred was saying, you know, with notions of 1994, I'm actually thinking of a different year, and it's one that doesn't involve the Knicks. I mean, they. I think they made the playoffs that, that year, but they were a quick out. And it's 2004. And it, it's the question that I feel like I get asked the most from longtime Knicks fans is why can't we have a version of the 2004 Pistons? You know, and I think saying that, um, you know, for, for as great as Chauncey Billups was, and he, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, I would actually argue that that, that comparison doesn't do justice to how special of a season Jalen Brunson is having. But just more to the point about the trade today like, where is the weak spot on this team, you know? And that's that doesn't just go for the starting lineup. That goes for 48 minutes of basketball. So I think when you're talking about both floors and ceilings, the fact that if you look at, you know, so what's their biggest weakness? Well, Brunson's a very small defender, right? How could you possibly mitigate that any better uh, than with the roster that they've assembled, which has some high-level defensive pieces, most particularly at the center position, and then maybe the most versatile defender in the entire league, in OG Ananobi. Again, need him to get healthy, need Mitch to get healthy. All of those things matter. But in terms of floor, if healthy, sure, I'll, I'll go second round. Second round, I like Yeah, it. John, if we're, making, uh, if we're making historical comparisons also to, to really successful teams with a similar kind of model, the, the 
it's a little different, but the 2076ers, I took a, That's a took a similar sort of approach, which is Al Iverson's at the top, and, and Iverson was much more of a guy who's just going to soak up a ton of shots in a way that Brunson doesn't. But they were like, we're going to have Iverson at the top. He's an undersized guard. But my goodness, he's going to create all the offense, whether we put guys around him who can create offense or not. So just surround him with these long dudes who are going to defend like crazy, like Dikembe Mutombo and Aaron McKee and Eric Snow, and we're going to put him around those guys, and he's going to get everything. Well, they traded Theo Ratliff for Mutombo that season. Oh, my apologies. My apologies. You should should apologize, Ian. You're 24 years later. (laughs) (laughs) But they – that team was successful. And yeah, I think fun. this team is more is more balanced than this one. And Jalen Brunson is not stylistically the same as Iverson, but we, we've seen teams try to do this sort of concept before. Hey, there's a small guard at the top of the offense who's really, really, really good. Well, let's just put a ton of size around him, a ton of defense around him. The Knicks, by the way, Basketball Reference tweeted this out. The Knicks now have five guys in their rotation who are shooting better than 40% from three right now which is a huge addition. And what a change from a team last year that took a bunch of threes, that didn't make a bunch of threes. And that doesn't include OG Ananobi, who's really good from the corners. They've got shooters. You know, Randall Randall can get hot as well when he's back. Like, this is a well-balanced team that's going to play both sides of the floor and and has, I mean, this team has a chance to really do stuff. Yeah, Dante DiVincenzo played a big role in that as well. Um, another fan question from David Buternick on YouTube. David says, when the team hopefully gets fully healthy, whose minutes will suffer most from this trade besides the obvious guys, Precious or Duke, Dante, and Hart? Interesting and question. Yeah, yeah. No, interesting. Um, totally would be jumping the gun. But, yeah, David Fuddy, as I like to call him, he's right about McBride because I think – that he'd be the odd man out, maybe even if they don't get uh, everybody back. But then, yeah, you're looking at where do the minutes get cut from. I would say maybe not because of his play, but maybe in the interest of keeping him fresh, maybe Josh Hart. But it's, yeah, I don't know where, where – it's more so where do the shots get come from, get cut from. To me, who gets fewer shots? And uh, that's why OG Ananobi is a good fit. I mean, look, I think – he likes to score the ball. He that's you know part of his game, but he also can just fit in, be a cutter, shoot from beyond the arc, and, and Dante DiVincenzo as well. Uh, these guys are not going to demand shots, command shots, and Alec Burks can do it either way. So I think I'm looking at the shot distribution more so than the minutes. Um, but I, I do think maybe Hart would get fewer minutes, which could benefit them long term. Ian, you know who Ian, would love that? Josh Hart would love that. How many <laughs> times has Josh Hart followed up a game by talking about how he can't feel his entire body, how he yes. is sore, how he needs to play fewer minutes, how he wants to jump into the stands and start chanting, we want Taj at the end of the game just because it gets him an extra minute of rest. <laughs> I, he really did say that last one. It's, it is, uh, I think Josh Hart would love that. So I think the wing depth will be, will be welcomed. And not, I don't want to make assumptions on, on Josh, but I know he has uh, twin babies, young babies. And we all know, I mean, I know, John knows how that affects the sleep pattern. So maybe he's getting hit there too. 
so let's get him. It would be good to get him some rest for uh, for everybody involved. Yeah, I, I don't know what that is like. I'm not ready to know what that is like either. Some more power to you guys. <laughs> um, Ian, are you friends with Putty? Yes, uh, internet friends, because I've seen his work on the screen. He's an actor. Um, he's done a great job in everything I've seen. He was in a really good series that I, I can't remember the name of now. Met in person in Vegas. So, yeah, I internet buddies, if that counts. All right. Yeah, of course that counts. Shout out to Putty. Uh, Brad, coming to you with this fan question from Bowen Chen. Guys, Spencer Dinwiddie would likely be waived should the Knicks sign him as a backup point guard. Mm. So here's the thing with the final roster spot slash roster spots. The Knicks have 14 guys under contract right now after the trades today, but one of them is, is Taj Gibson on a 10-day deal. So they really have to find at least one guy to fill out the rest of the roster for the rest of the season. You need the minimum of 14. I don't know if a vet is going to come, a vet who wants playing time is going to come for the exact reason that the exact discussion that we just had here. We're talking about Deuce McBride, who has proven to be a legit rotation player. You yeah. know, still still learning how to run an offense, still over dribbling too much, but shooting 40 some odd percent from three, competing like crazy on defense, doing everything that is asked of him, and unquestionably playing the best basketball of his life. A legit rotation player who the Knicks believe in and just extended before he even started to play this well. We're talking about him in all likelihood not getting minutes once everybody's healthy, if everybody's healthy. I'm talking about Precious Achua, who has played yeah. really, really well. Yeah. Really well. Who, who Tibbs trusts so much that in Saturday's game against the Lakers, he matched up his minutes with LeBron because he insisted on Precious Achua being the LeBron defender. And Precious yeah. did a very good job and played 43 minutes in that game against LeBron. We're talking about these guys not being in the rotation. If you're a vet who's a buyout guy, like Spencer Dinwiddie, like Kyle Lowry, your options are going to be limited because if, an ex if a guy in an expensive contract gets bought out now, he can't go sign with a team that's over the apron. So that is going to limit their options. But that being said, I don't necessarily see someone like Dinwiddie, who's being released by Toronto, wanting to come to New York only to be on the outskirts of the rotation because the Knicks already have a lot of depth, which, by the way, is, is a good thing when you have depth in a normal way, which they do right now. But when you have too many guys, then all of a sudden you 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 tread on messing up what they have in the locker room, which is also a very good thing right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, it's a balance. All right, um, everyone, a reminder that this season of The Putback is now in podcast form. So download it wherever you listen to your podcast. And tonight, be sure to watch Honda Sports Night at 11 p.m. Ian Begley will... Join them from the garden for a full recap of the trade deadline plus a recap of Nick's Mavericks. All right, guys, uh, let's go stargazing, a favorite segment here on the show. This one comes from Mike Robusto on Facebook, and Mike says, do you think we will make a bigger trade in the offseason with all the first-rounders we have? Ian. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's coming, whether it's in the offseason, in-season, next year. You know, normally – you might say Leon Rose coming up at the end of his contract here with the Knicks next year, so they should be in a rush to do something. 
I mean, I think Leon Rose is going to be here beyond this contract. <clears throat> Same with William Wesley. So I, from that perspective, I don't think they're going to be in a rush to do to do that big move. But yeah, I think it's going to come. Uh, the opportunity is going to come this offseason. And we saw it a couple summers ago with Donovan Mitchell. You know, I thought they were aggressive, right? They did draw a line that did they, that they did not want to go above on Mitchell, but they're aggressive when the opportunity is there. And now, as Mike is pointing out, you know, they have that arsenal, that uh, eight first round picks that they can move, I believe, Fred, um, in a deal. So that's that's a lot to, to uh, send to a team that's looking to maybe start over in the wake of moving a disgruntled star. And just to add on to that, I mean, we talked a little bit about this earlier in the show, just from a, a salary cap management perspective. Uh, both Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle are going to be extension eligible uh, this summer. Now, they, they're they for different reasons. I, I'm not sure either of those guys are going to sign this summer, but they could then a year after that opt out of their final year player options and get new deals. Now, Brunson you would figure is probably going to get the max, uh, which is going to mean he's going to get a massive raise. And Julius Randle, if he's still here, is also going to be eligible for for a lot, uh, for a bigger raise. So I think just, again, talking about everybody's favorite topic, aprons, uh, from a from a, a, a management point of view, at, at, at that point, a year from this summer, the Knicks are going to be kind of hamstrung in terms of big, big, big moves that they can make. So just to back up what Ian said, there's a reason why this you're, you're probably looking at, if not this summer, then before the deadline. And, you know, the obvious should be said, yeah, it depends on how the Knicks do in the playoffs this year. Let, let's say Julius Randle comes out and averages 35 a game uh, healthy throughout the playoffs and helps, like Fred was saying, lead them to the finals. Well, then maybe you're not in that bigger rush to go out and acquire another ball dominant guy. But I, I think they will continue to be um, opportunistic. And and look, a lot of things change about the NBA. Um, stars moving locations is one thing that has remained pretty constant for some time now. So, the, so someone always tends to shake free. Always. Yeah, um, all right. I think if you look at the way the Knicks – oh, sorry – no, no, I was just going to add on to John. Happen. I I think if you look at the way the Knicks are operating right now, and oh, by the way, look at that. Live reporting. Just got a text that the second round picks the Knicks are giving Detroit are 2028 and 2029. So what do you know? Uh, I, I, I think with yeah. the Knicks, if you look at the way that they have operated, they're in a very different position than they were during the Donovan Mitchell saga two years ago. And the huge difference to me is they are so much more particular about fit now. Before, they were trying to bring in a star. And now I think they're going to operate and try to bring a star that they believe fits what they already have. Because before you could say, oh, they're a piece away from being really, really good. Well, they're already really good. And I don't think they want to mess with that dynamic. So I think any star who becomes available, they are going to have to have a real conversation with themselves if Donovan Mitchell becomes available. Okay, do, do we want to have two small guards in our backcourt? Because we're already really good. And part of the reason that we're really good is because you got Jalen Brunson there surrounded by size and defense and all of that. Do you want to bring in another small guard and all of a sudden have an easily attackable backcourt in the postseason? Like there, there, are, there are going to be certain conversations that they're going to have to have that are more nuanced and more difficult than the ones that they had two years ago. But it's because they're in so much of a better position right now. 
Yeah, Fred, really quick follow-up on that, though. Why do you think that the Knicks are more so, you know, putting the priority on fit instead of just trying to insert a star in that? Like, where where did that change happen, and why did that happen? Well, I think that becomes much more of a prerogative when you have a lot of success. I think when a team is kind of meandering around the middle or coming off of a 37-win season like they were a couple of summers ago, I think what you're looking for is you just want to bring talent into the building. You want to bring talent into the building and they have talent in the building right now. And so the job right now is not necessarily just bring in whoever you can, no matter what the job is. Okay. How can you bring somebody in that enhances the overall the talent level, increases the overall talent level while also enhancing the talent that's already there. And, you know, it's not baseball where you just plug a guy into the lineup and you're pretty much good to go. You guys work off of each other. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they have this team of really hard-nosed, defensive-minded personalities. You know, we talk about Brunson like he's an offense first guy, but that's not his mentality. Like, yeah. he's dogged defensively. He just has size deficiencies. Yeah. And they have all these guys who are willing to sacrifice their bodies, who are willing to dive for loose balls and jump into the stands and all that kind of stuff. I was having a conversation with Isaiah Hartenstein and, and Dante DiVincenzo like a couple of weeks ago. And they were talking about like, if you don't have that mentality, you just can't really play here. That's the culture they've created. And I think that's something certainly Tom Thibodeau loves. And I think it's something yeah. that the front office is trying to, you know, keep intact. Yeah. Really great insight, Fred. Thank you for that. Um, all right, guys, the biggest name that had been attached to the Knicks in the buildup today has been DeJounte Murray with the Hawks. Ian, why did that not work out? And could there be a future match between the two? What do you think? Yeah, I think, excuse me, it was maybe late December. I can't remember. Probably late December when the reports about the Knicks and Alec, uh, excuse me, and uh, DeJounte Murray started to arise, right? And back then, you know, the the OG and an OB trade hadn't happened. The month of January hadn't happened where the Knicks reeled off a historic month. And so I think it, it just became something that wasn't a need. And not only was it not a need, it, it, it didn't make sense because you're not going to want to break up the chemistry that's developing with this group. There was to make that kind of a move, you know, you're risking so much chemistry wise in a season that you're trying to win games. So DeJounte Murray, very talented player. Uh, there were certainly people uh, in the organization who felt like he would be a great fit next to Jalen Brunson. But you get OG Ananobi, you start to win games. And I think it became less of uh, a desire. And also you have to mention Atlanta having a high price point. Clearly no one matched Atlanta's price point on Murray because he's still there. I think they wanted a lot back in return for DeJounte Murray. But I do think uh, there were, you know, casual conversations between the Knicks and the Hawks about Murray and other players, just nothing coming to fruition. All right, let's look at the upcoming schedule for the Knicks. They play the Mavericks tonight at the Garden, followed by the Pacers on Saturday. Then they go on the road to Houston, Orlando, and a big matchup with Philly before returning back home to play the Celtics on the 24th. That brings us to our next question. Jay Berg asks Jonathan, first time, long time guy, Jay Berg says, if Brunson doesn't play tonight, what are the rotations? tonight will Tibbs go to a new level of Tibbs and play five guys 48 minutes uh, I don't know uh, he might 
be asking Ian and, and Fred to suit up uh, if, if Brunson doesn't go tonight. <laughs> I mean, no, it, like all kidding aside, I mean, you know, is are we getting Jacob Toppin minutes? Because not only if, if again, if Brunson can't go, Archie Diacono is, is not here. So you figure you're going to see, I'm just, again, I'm going off the top of my head here, uh, Deuce McBride, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, also forgot no Malachi Flynn either. So <laughs> adding to adding to the issues, and then um, Josh Hart, Precious Achua, Hartenstein. I mean, there. I'm um, I'm curious if either Fred or Ian has heard anything on Jericho Sims if he's still ill or he's going to be able to to come back in. And so let's presume Sims is there. That's six. Um, I mean, who's your who, who's your seventh guy? Am I forgetting someone? I'm, I may be forgetting someone obvious that could that could step in. Uh, no, I think I think you went through everybody. I mean, <clears throat> you're probably going to have to uh, plug in one of the two-way guys. But I think I think Sims was not on the most recent injury report. Is that correct, Fred? And Josh Hart was not uh, on the most recent injury report. Josh Hart was not. Sims was questionable as of last night. It may shock you, Ian. I have done other things today than check Jericho Sims' <laughs> illness update. <laughs> What are you doing, Fred? So I am actually not sure. You uh, got to get your priorities you in order, man. But J- Jacob Toppin, <laughs> I mean, I, at this point, I think you'd have to say that Jacob Toppin's probably going to play, right? The uh, latest, latest entry into the, uh, the, uh, the dunk contest. So maybe I'll get a chance to show his stuff on the court tonight. Or Charlie Brown Jr. Or yeah, Charlie right. Brown Jr. Yeah. All right, so Ian and Fred, are you guys ready to suit up? You need to stretch out a little bit. <laughs> Have a few hours to warm up if you need to. I got to check in with our insurance policy just to make sure I be covered <laughs> before I do that. So I'll just, I'm going to reach out before I suit up, but I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, Ian, quickly, any final thoughts from you on the trades on today? Yeah. You know, we covered it a little bit, but in talking to a couple people, just the idea that there's a pathway here to get beyond the second round, given where they are. And I think that that belief is even uh, internal and that shouldn't be surprising at all. But I think once they, you started to beat, you know, Philadelphia by 30 points and beat Denver and go on this, this great run in January, I think, you know, this team is full of, of championship players, players who have won in the past. And I think there's a belief there that, Hey, we can compete with anybody. We can uh, beat anybody. And I think this deadline kind of tells you that the Knicks feel the same way because they made a big deal. They added to this team in a big way. All right. That will do it for this trade deadline edition of the Putback. Our thanks to Fred Cass of The Athletic and Jonathan Macri of Knicks Film School. We will be back next Thursday at 4 p.m. for a first half recap. Visit SNY.TV for a full recap of the coverage. For Ian Begley, I'm Chelsea Sherrod. Thank you so much for watching and enjoy the rest of your day.